Well, hello again. <laughs> and I'll tell you something. Um, I prayed all day today. My wife blessed me today a little bit with uh, giving me some time to go surfing, because that's what I do. And uh, man, I, I went down to the poles. Any, any surfers in the room? Not weekend people, like the real, okay. Um, so anyway, I go down to the poles, and it's usually really crowded and, and all that. And I walk down, and I find myself by myself, out in the ways. It's perfect. And I'm just like, Lord, I, you know, this feels, this feels like you set this thing up. And I start praying. I've been, I've been chewing on some of these things um, for a long time. Like God is, it's, it's kind of like I get, I get X amount of time to to give to you what, what would be like a forest in my heart of things that God's given me about, about worship and about just loving on the Lord, and, and I get to give you an acorn of it. And it, it's just, I was wrestling with that today, this morning. And, uh, and as I was praying, one of my prayers was that, that God would, He would just use the little things to hopefully stir you because I believe that we have not arrived in our relationship with the Lord. We're redeemed, no doubt, but we have not arrived. There is so much more. And if you ever sit with someone that's, that's lived a life worthy of the gospel, a person that has sacrificed their whole life, and you sit with them, and they just breathe wisdom, it's that moment where you realize that, man, I got a lot of room left. I got a lot so that's what I'm going to talk about tonight. But before I do, I just got to say um, a few things. Um, first of all, I, I'm so gracious and so grateful for the, for the love from one of my best friends in life. And now he's also my boss in a lot of weird ways. But that's really, we never, it's never been that way. Um, Pastor Joby's been one of my closest friends for a long time now. And We've had more f- laughter, but the funny things in life we seem to catch together at the same time and nights, but I could not be serving at a better place with better people. Um, I mean, the, the team here is, I wish you could just see them behind the scenes and the way they work. They're just amazing. <laughs> Joby says this a lot, that because... A lot of you might know my name or Pastor Joby's name. You don't see the people that really do all the heavy lifting. <laughs> I mean, honestly, like the production team, they just crushed it this week. And the, the team, and, um, volunteers, the serve staff, the, the accounting. I mean, everything that goes into, it is a well-oiled machine for the Lord. And it's all done for the Lord. And it's a privilege to be a part of it. But, um, let me pray, and then, uh, and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start with what I feel like God's given me. Father, tonight, Lord, just take these words that you've given me in this language, Lord, and just use them for your glory. And Lord, I pray that, that every word that is of you, Lord, that it would pierce people's hearts, and everything that's just been, God, I pray that it would fall to the ground. That tonight would be about you, Lord, and your, your love for us. Lord, we ask these things in your name. Amen. So here's the deal. Like, I, I'm not a Baptist person <laughs> like, like a lot of you guys. Like, I'm not from the Baptist culture. Um, 
uh, I guess trails of it, but I was actually Anglican. And so when I talk to a lot of the Catholics in the room, I'm like, sweet, I get it. You know, it's not totally me, but I, I get it more, you know. Uh, I love the mysterious things of God. I love the, 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 I just love the mystery behind all God's done. And it just fascinates me that we could join together in song about him and that his presence would fill this place by nothing that we've done, but just because he wants to show up. But, but to be honest, I mean, if I were to start at square one, this group tonight, you guys are all like real worshipers, or you wouldn't be here tonight. This is a worship night, right? So really, the, what I'm going to talk about is really going to be kind of old news to you, but maybe it's a refresher of, of, of some things that maybe God's going to push you on. And so the place that I wanted, that I felt like God was really pushing me on was um, I felt like in a lot of our... Our services, not this necessarily here, but just in general, you know, across the country or maybe across the world, we paint God as like he's super lonely, like he's just waiting here in the church and just waiting for people to show up. And, and then, you know, when, he's, when you show up, he's just like, oh, sweet, come on in. I got a seat for you. And, you know, and, and he's just waiting and just say something, say something awesome. You know, he's just waiting for you to do your, you know, so he can just be with you. And, and that could not be further than the truth. He, he is very content being God and needs nothing from us. He knows no loneliness. He knows no, like, fear. He is self-contained and does not need us. He does not need our worship. He does not need our songs. He doesn't need your presence in his house. It is for your good, not his. We add absolutely nothing to God. And look, the, the concept to us might be super foreign. Like, we feel like if I'm going to show up, that's going to add value to something. Trust me, to God, it adds no value. And I'm not, I'm not trying to make you feel bad about you. It's just about God. Like, he just does not know loneliness. That's a human disposition. We all suffer with loneliness at some point in our life. And some are way lonelier than others, you know, and there wouldn't be so many things out in our culture now that try to cure loneliness, but it's a deep-rooted issue that we all have. We also all have insecurities and fears, and there's sometimes, like, even in your family might not even know, your spouse might not know your fears, but you hold them tight, and, you know, I'm not talking about afraid of heights. I mean, that's great, but I'm talking about that fear of success, like not being successful at your job or that fear that you won't be as awesome as your dad is, or you won't, you know, you don't know, you're afraid that you're going to mess this whole thing up. And so we all carry this stuff, right? But there's some deep-rooted issues of why we carry it. It's pretty simple. And I, I, man, as I was praying about tonight, God just took me straight to Jeremiah. So if you got a Bible, we're going to Jeremiah uh, chapter 2. And uh, I'm at Verse 13, he says, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. The, I think the NIV was, um, we dug out uh, broken cisterns. So what, what, look, I, I spent some time on missions. Me and my wife, when we first got married, we, we uh, kind of wrestled together about what God was calling us to do, and so we decided to pursue missions because we just both have a, have a heart for seeing 
people um, come to know the Lord in cross-cultural experiences. And so we would go to all kinds of places, Panama, we went to Costa Rica. We ended up a lot of time in Guatemala. And, um, and in Guatemala, we would go to this one section where it was called the Paten, and it was this jungle, mostly dirt roads, not a lot of um, fresh water. In fact, they would, the, the, the community we were really targeting was up on top of this uh, kind of a mountain. It's not, not mountains like Colorado, but more like mountains like Georgia, like smaller, a little bit more petite. Um, and, uh, and so we're up on this mountain, and, and the villagers, the, they, would, they would walk like miles. To us, they're miles. To them, they were kilometers or whatever, but it was, it was far. And uh, they would walk to get their water, and then they would carry these jugs back. And there was, there was a few missions teams before we got there, and they, they built these giant cisterns to hold this water. So if it rained, the, 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 the water would fill up these cisterns. The funny thing, I, I thought it was funny, that the rain would never come where they were. They would watch it go through the valley, but then they just sit up there, and they look at their cisterns, and they look at the water, or the rain just pass by, and just be like, missionaries, <laughs> awesome. Good, good, in, good job researching. But... but um, but the funny thing is, there was times where they would fill the water back up, and, and, and the, again, the missions teams, when they developed these things, they just weren't, you know, they just weren't construction people. They didn't build them right, and they would just leak. Imagine, imagine being a villager that has to walk for miles, and your one hope for rain, and all of a sudden you look over at your rain collector, and it's just leaking, you know? What a bummer. Um, and so what God's telling us in this passage here is that we've actually done two things against him. And uh, he's really speaking to Israel, but we can say that this is really something that we've done as well, just as, as people, as humanity, that we've forsaken God. And the word forsaken is pretty simple. It just means that you've chosen to not, like, choose God's way at times, or you've, you've tried to do things on your own, or, you know, when you... When you get frustrated, maybe, maybe you don't turn to the Lord. Maybe you turn to watching your favorite show, and the stress is still there, but whatever. You don't turn to God. You kind of turn to whatever your vice is. It doesn't have to be like a bad vice. It just means a distraction. You've forsaken. You've been distracted towards God. The second thing he says is that you've hewed out cisterns um, that can't hold water. So if God is the spring of living water, if he's alive, if everything he is is rejuvenating, like he is love, he is joy, he is peace, we often put things in our lives that are just, we, we create these, these containers in our lives, like this, these things that we, and we force all these things in that just leak out because it's not, they're not built to hold Water, they're not built to hold things. And all of us have been in varying stages of our life where we've done really good with the Lord and we've, we've pursued Him and we've done great. And then there's other times where we've just been like, you know what, that's really hard. It's not, it's not easy. I'm, I'm just not gonna be that into God right now. And you might choose it by your church attendance or you might choose that by whatever you know, way that, that kind of translates in your life. But the truth is you're just kind of like, nah, I'm not going to do the Lord thing right now. And then maybe something happens in your life, a drama or something happens, and all of a sudden you get rekindled and you go right back after the Lord, and he's saying, really what happens is you're, you're, just, you're just drinking from the spring and walking away. And, and what he tells Jeremiah later is that he wants to actually be the potter 
that recreates something new in you that can contain and hold that spirit, that you no longer have to put things in your life that are just going to leak out, that he wants to fill you and keep filling you. Some of my family, they're, they're here, some of my friends, we always go to the, like, the springs and it's, the water's always really cold. And I kind of want to drink it because it's cold, but it's probably a bad idea because I think you get warts and stuff. <laughs> but but, um, but anyway, so we, all, we love going there because it makes you feel so clean. It makes you feel so awesome. And God's telling us that he is this like rejuvenating spring. But would you just allow him to... to to renew your heart, to get rid of the brokenness and the pain and the fear and the insecurity and really just grab hold of him. It's within that context that I, I think where we start to scrape the surface of, of worshiping. Because until you have that, until you've, until you've given over this, this, this heart that just leaks out junk, you give that over to the Lord where he repairs it and renews it and, re, and reforms it to hold him, him, his love, his joy, his peace. Until you've crossed that line, you, you really can't even begin to scrape the surface on what worshiping is. That adoration, that love for the Lord, because you're just, you're, you're consuming something that you cannot hold. And so, I think that's what I mean, before I would say anything else, you just have to examine your own heart. Have you built a heart that has not fully surrendered to the Lord and it's leaking out his love, his joy, his peace? And if so, the answer is really easy. You just have to confess that pain, that sin, that challenge, that struggle, and then he'll renew it. He promises in his word. So I'm gonna assume that you're gonna do some work with the Lord even now but for the rest of us that have already put our trust and hope in the Lord and, and feel regenerated, we, we have struggles, but now let's talk about real worship. Because worship is, we all come from different contexts. In fact, your, your relationship with your parents is actually going to play into your view of God. How you were raised is also going to play into your view of God and how you kind of process the corporate gathering of believers. It's going to play in. And most of us, in my, at least in my experience, um, we start with an old covenant worship style. And over time, God takes us to a new covenant worship style. That's pretty much been my, my um, view of, of, of how believers go through some sort of progressive sanctification. Sometimes people jump straight to new covenant. But let me explain what old covenant is. In, uh, in Exodus chapter 19... It says, uh, I love this part, uh, man, the stories of Moses just seem like epic sagas. Um, just so, so much God manifesting himself and people just being completely clueless. I, I love the stories, but it picks up in verse 16, uh, chapter 19. Verse 16 says, on the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and thick cloud on the mountain and, very, uh, and, a, and a loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp and to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. So just quick picture. God is on top of this mountain, Mount Sinai, and the people are in the valley. And so Moses is like, 
hey, God, I want, to, I want you to meet someone real quick. You just hang out here for a minute. And, he, and he, Moses like runs down the mountain and is like, hey, everybody gather at the foot of the mountain. Don't cross this line. He goes on in a few, uh, few more verses. He's like, he's setting all these parameters because God's like, look, this is holy ground. If those people whom I'm not really into that much, I'm kind of into you, Moses, but I'm not really into them all that much. If they cross this line, I'm just going to kill them. And Moses is like, no, 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 let's not do that. Let's, let's like redeem them. Which is funny because, you know, you can read the, old, the old, old covenant like he's grumpy, and he really is. He's really kind of bummed that we just cannot follow him. And a lot of us kind of still live in that. Like we just, he's like setting parameters and helping us, but whatever. So anyway, so they're all, imagine this whole Israel, and they say Israel was like, it wasn't like, you know, Jacksonville. It was like millions, four million people or something was gathered at the, the foot of the mountain. And you've got all varying degrees of people that are really into it or not, right? Just like, just like this. I mean, there's varying degrees of people into it and not into it. And that's all good because you all want to experience God. And that's what's honest about it. And that's what's beautiful is that it, it really doesn't matter what degree you're in. You're, you're kind of at the foot of the mountain and you're looking up at God. And, but, but paint the picture in your head for a second. There's just like, every time God talks, it says he talks in the thunder. Man, we had some thunderstorms like, a, like two weeks ago and it was shaking the windows every time that thunder crashed and that was miles away. You'd see the lightning and then miles away there'd be thunder. But imagine being at the foot of the mountain and just lightning and wind and you know, it said the cloud was, was covered the top of the mountain, that you couldn't even see the top of the mountain, and you knew God was there. And so, so Moses, Moses is, is sitting there, and he's like, he goes down, and then if you, if you go down a, a little bit um, around verse 23, he says, set limits around the, the mountain and consecrate it. Then the Lord said to them, go down, come up, and bring Aaron with you. But do not let the priests and the people break through to come to the Lord, lest he breaks out against them. So he's like, hey, Moses, go down, get Aaron, make it fast. I mean, he's climbing down a mountain. It's not like it's, it's, not like it's, it's going to take some time. But he goes down, and he's like, get, get, get Aaron, come up. And he says, but don't let these people cross this line. And I find in worship, that is where a large percentage of people, they just sit there. They, know, they see the effects of God, and they're into it. They see that God is moving. They, 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 they kind of get the byproducts of what God is doing. They, they even have someone to help them communicate with God. You know, like, hey, tell me what he's saying. Moses, you go, because you go, he's probably mad at me, but I don't think he's mad at you. I watch people do it with Joby all day long. They do it with him. Like, look, just pray for me. I know he listens to you. I'm serious. Have you not heard that? Happens all the time. They say it to me all the time, too. Like, hey, I know you're close with the Lord. Why don't you just put in a good word for me? <laughs> Look, man, I got enough to pray, but I don't know praying for your junk. I got my own junk. <laughs> but in worship, it's the same way. I mean, we just sit there at the bottom of the, we sit there at the bottom of the hill, and we're just like, that's awesome. Man, that's cool. Let's go get some breakfast now. <laughs> I mean, seriously, so, so he's gone long enough. He's gone long enough. And all of a sudden, it's like, you don't even know who, who's this God thing? What's this? What's this all about? You know, you're a great example. Pastor, you, you don't make church for six weeks, eight weeks. You kind of just get disconnected. You kind of don't know what's that. You, you start fading in your relationship with the Lord. It's because 
you're worshiping at a distance. You're, you're, you're just allowing the line of the old covenant, not, not even the new covenant. We haven't, we haven't even talked about Jesus yet. Just the old covenant, that old way of worshiping God, which was let someone else go in, and then you live off the byproduct of their relationship with God. Yeah, that'll work for a while. It'll work for a while, a season. You'll get through it a season, but before too long, the storms of life will wreck you, and you won't know what voice is talking. Because you'll be looking for a voice to say something awesome, but that voice is gone. Because you're not listening to the voice of God, you're listening to another person's voice. And that's not the way it's intended. But the new covenant, Jesus came in and he's just like, no, man, I don't want that at all. He tore, the, he tore that relational barrier at the, at the point of cross, the cross. And, and in the New Testament, the mountain of transfiguration, Matthew 17, he totally lays out what he expects of us in worship. Totally lays it out. And it has nothing to do with music, although I will contend that music has a very strong um, it's a weapon. It really is. Worship is a weapon to get straight to the heart. It's just the fastest way to get to the heart. But anyway, in, in chapter 17 of Matthew, Jesus, now, again, it's a funny story. I, I, don't, I, don't I wish there was more detail in the story because the, you don't really know what's happening with all the disciples, but Jesus is just like, hey, you, you, and you, come with me. And in uh, verse 2, it says, He was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. His clothes became white as light. And behold, there was an appearance, appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with them. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. I wish you and I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He, what he doesn't say is, I'm just going to sleep on the ground. <laughs> but... Um, so a couple things, just real quick. Where are the other disciples, and why couldn't they go? It's a great question. I don't know. Why? Maybe, maybe these guys were the ones that were just like, let's do this. Let's go to the mountain. But regardless, Jesus calls them up, just like he calls us up in the new covenant. He's like, hey, this is Jesus when we get here in the service or when we worship together. He's like, hey, let's go up. Let's go to the mountain. And then there's a few of you that go. Straight up. There's a few people that are like, sweet, let's go. Where are the other ones? I don't know. But these three go up, and they're just going to go experience God. They're going to go spend some time with the Lord. They're going to go up to the mountain, and they're going to see Jesus as he is, and it blows you away. It blows your mind. You, your first reaction, and everybody like dogs on Peter, but I think it's the right response. Let's stay here. This is awesome. <laughs> I mean, I'd be, this, I'd be, honestly, I'd be doing the same thing. Like, that guy was dead like 200 years ago. He was dead maybe 400 years ago or 4,000 years ago, whatever. I'm in. Let's do it. Let's build a tent. Let's just hang out. Let's start, just, everyone, you know, maybe the other guys will catch up before too long, and we'll just stay here, and they see Jesus. And all of a sudden, further in the text, God comes in, and he says, this is my son who I'm well pleased and just loves, you know, God is interacting, and there's thunder. And again, the same experience that, that, that the Israelites could not go to the top of the mountain. Now Jesus is inviting us up to the top of the mountain to experience him. And so many times, a lot of, a lot of people, 
what they, what they get, they get in that spirit of Peter where, where it's like, let's just stay here. Let's recreate this moment every day of our lives. Let's try to get this going. And absolutely, you need to spend time in the presence of God. There's no doubt that God has invited us up into this interactive mingling with him. But, but it's not just individualistic. I mean, there's two other guys there aside from Peter. They're all experiencing together. It wasn't just one person interacting with God. You have people from the past, God himself, friends, and there's just this worship moment with him. He is transfigured. And I, there's been moments that I've been in, in services where, where I've just literally felt God so close. It's typically, I can't do it, I really, I, I can't do it in this setting without you. I know that's weird and I don't even have a Bible verse for that, but, but it's like, it really comes down to the hunger from the people of God, not the hunger from me which is what the expectation is pretty, pretty often, that I'm so hungry for God that I can somehow make you hungry. Have you ever tried to make someone else hungry? Like go out on a date and you're like, are you hungry? No, I'm not really hungry. Well, let's eat. Then you get there, you order something else, and I'm not really hungry. You can't, I mean, you're hungry, you're just gonna be hungry if you're hungry. You know? That's just the truth. But, but, you know, I can't make people hungry for God in this context. I just can't make people hungry for God. You're either hungry or you're not. But those times of, of that closeness with the, with the relationship with the Lord and where there's times where, where you just want to fall on your face and just worship him because you know he's close. And you just want to recreate that all the time. And that's, that's, a, that's, pretty, um, that's pretty typical of a lot of... Uh, a lot of people that have kind of realized that the new covenant is about that intimacy with the Lord. It's about that closeness. But the interesting thing is, I think if you get stuck there, it's just as bad as getting stuck at the bottom of the mountain. Because the very next chapter, or the very next part of this chapter, 17, uh, I think it's probably the most powerful part of the whole thing. And it's where I think we are supposed to actually be and what, what the real, what real corporate worship is. Again, you've got to separate your personal relationship with Lord and your personal prayer time with him. It, it's, it's somewhat different than the corporate gathering of believers because there's, a, there's just a different dispensation of grace with it with that personal relationship with God, and, and there's, a, there's a movie out called The Prayer Room or whatever. That's, well, that's it, World War Room. I haven't seen it. Is it awesome? Sweet. Um, but, you know, it, the, I, I saw the trailer. It was, it, it was awesome. Sweet. Um, but what it's talking about is that personal relationship with the Lord and going to Him on behalf of your family and behalf of your friends. That's your personal worship time with the Lord. But your corporate gathering, there's actually some real, like, tactile things that God does in your heart when the gathering of believers gathers together and holds up the name of Jesus. So in the next part, they come off the mountain. So Peter's jazzed. He does, he wants to, he's kind of bummed. He's probably got a pouty face. 
He's coming off the mountain. And uh, who knows where, you know, the other guys are. And, uh, they, and Jesus goes right into the next section. It says, they came, they came to the crowd, and a man came up, kneeling, this is verse 14, before him and said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic, and he suffers terribly. For often he falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples, and they could not heal him. This is, not the, this is the other guys. They couldn't heal him. And Jesus answered, O oh, faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the boy was healed instantly. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? He said to them, because of your little faith, for truly I say to you, if you had faith like the grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Here's what I got out of it. Now, there's a lot of things that you can go, but think, they just came off the mountain, spending time with the Lord. What gave, what gave them the power to address it? It's that worship with the Lord. That, that, that connection with God is actually a powerful mechanism in our lives. It is not a placeholder in the service. It is actually a refueling, a rejuvenating, faith-building weapon that God gives us to go after the things of, of, that, are, that are the darkness in this world and with faith, speak life into it. I heard, uh, I got to hang out with Phil, Phil Driscoll a couple days ago, and, and he just, he says such, like, every time he talks about worship, there, I just feel friction in my heart. And it's not, it's not negative, it's just, like, what? Like, he'll say, he'll say, like, he just threw this out a couple months ago, he's like, worship is the currency of heaven. And then he just moved away, and I'm like, wait a second, there's an exchange rate in heaven? What, what did, where did you get that and show me the scripture verse? He goes, no, listen, there's no, it's, 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 there's an exchange there. He goes, you, you, give, you give God worship and he gives you life. That's an exchange. It's not like your worship just goes to fuel his loneliness, which is what we feel like a lot of times. It's an exchange. It's a, it's a rejuvenating of your heart. It is a it is, a, it is a weapon for you to build faith. He gains nothing from it, and you are the beneficiary of every bit of it. And yet, we stand there at the foot of the mountain most often, knowing that there is this weapon of song, weapon of worship that is readily available for us, but we choose to be like, you know what? I'm just going to wait this one out. And Jesus is calling us, come up to the mountain, come up to the mountain, Nah, I'll just stay here. It's cool here. And then we go to try to address things in our lives, and there's no faith and there's no power in our lives because we haven't spent time with the Lord. And you can talk to things all day long, but if you don't know the Lord, if you don't build that faith in that faith mechanism in your heart, if you don't stir that spirit that God has placed in you and rejuvenated in you, when you face trials, you won't have the faith to overcome it. You won't. Try it. 
you'll get beat down. Worship is our way. It's like this, it's like this generator that powers us to live out our lives in the gospel. Worship is, we're supposed to come into this place after a rough week and get fueled by the Spirit of God to engage our world, not to just stay here. This is great. And again, the, the people that just, they just get so wrapped up in worship, they forget that there's a dying world out there going to hell. And they need Jesus, and they need the Holy Spirit, and they need the power of God working in their lives. But so often, we won't engage with this weapon, or we'll just fully just encapsulate ourselves within this context and, and forget completely that this is actually just a tool for living out our faith, for living out our hope that is in Jesus Christ. As I, as I was chewing on this over the last six weeks, um, about it, I, I, this same character kept coming to my mind. Um, I actually never spent time researching him until last year. Um, I was telling all my guys, hey, we're gonna write, a, we're gonna write an album and uh, we're gonna do it all with our language and our, our style and our songs and stuff. And so uh, I, I had to do it too. And uh, I just started reading this, um, this, I think I read it in one of our services, this Breastplate of Righteousness by St. Patrick. And uh, history records that this was like his, this was his like, mantra in life. This was his, like, this is what he prayed every day. But if you don't know anything about him, um, he was credited for evangelizing Ireland. You know that small island in, the, in Europe? He evangelized the whole thing, built churches, did all these things, and at the end of his life, he, he, he writes these words, God above me, God below me, God beside me, when I wake and when I sleep. There's also a point in his life where he was a slave. He was taken into slavery. And, um, and God met him right where he was and did not release him. He was in slavery for six years and prayed and worshiped. And the jailers would, were freaking out. The history records that he would just stay up all night praying and worshiping God, all night. And then in a dream, God tells him, escape, go to the, go to the sea. He's like, Okay goes to the sea, and he goes back to Britain, and, uh, and, then, and then God speaks to him again years later. All right, time to go back. And man, to, re to, to read his statement of faith, going back to his captors with the love of Jesus, it only worship, only faith can lead a man to that. So as we watch this video that, that we've made, I want it to stir you, and then we're going to go right into worship, and if there's anything in you, as I've talked, anything that, that you, you live in or feel restrained in some sort of old covenant, Jesus invites us up to the top of the mountain for the sake of the lost.